In my life, I've used the word hope a lot, quite a bit, actually. Uh, When I was in high school, I would say things like, I hope she likes me. She didn't. When I was in college, I would say, I hope I get an A on this test. I didn't. Uh, When I met my wife, I said, I hope she likes me. She did. When we got pregnant, I say we, (laughs) when we got pregnant with our son, uh, we said, we hope he's born healthy and safe. And he was, nine years ago tomorrow. Now, for some of you who've been around here since I've been here, I've been here for eight years now, you're thinking back to the time when we first got here, and the little guy was like here (laughs) when he was nine months old when we arrived, and now he's going to be nine years old tomorrow. Hard to imagine, isn't it? It's been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun here. Um, We use this word hope a lot. We say the word hope. And I don't know that we truly understand what it means when we say, I hope for something. We'll say something along the lines of, I hope I get this job promotion. Or I I hope that this loan goes through. Uh, I hope that this... uh, economy turns around we'll say things like in our relationship with god i hope that god loves me or i i hope that god will forgive me or maybe we'll say something like this somebody will say something uh, they'll ask you a question and say are you going to go to heaven and you'll say i hope so we, we use the word hope almost as if it's kind of like a wish or a dream, like a wish upon a star, like a little cricket singing on your shoulder. I hope I get to go to heaven. I hope that God forgives me. I I hope that God loves me. But we say it with an air of of not being sure. We'll use the word hope with with less than certainty. We're not very certain in our hope. And so we don't know whether or not we're saved. We don't know whether or not we're forgiven. We don't know whether or not we're going to heaven. And let me tell you why that is. It's because we're basing everything on our own actions and our own selves and not on the grace of God. That's a whole other sermon. But for today's sermon, we're talking about hope. Now, I want to share with you a little bit about the Greek word for hope. The New Testament was written in ancient Greek. And the Greek word for hope is a word that literally means a confident expectation. A confident expectation. It means I know that this is going to happen. I know that when I say I hope that I am going to heaven, it means not that, oh, I might not get to go to heaven. But when I say I hope I get to go to heaven, I mean I am going to heaven. Sean, how can you be so bold? Sean, how can you be so confident? Sean, how can you say that? Because it's not about me. It's not about my sins or my actions or God's, uh, God's willingness or not to forgive me. It is about God's grace. It is about God reaching out to me and reaching out to you through his son Jesus Christ on the cross and saying, I will forgive you. If you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, I will forgive you, and you will go to heaven. I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Dustin said in his communion meditation earlier. 
I will forgive your sins, all your sins, and I will remember them no more. I will remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. And it's not based on us. It's based on who God is and his unchanging character and his unconditional love. I love talking about this stuff. (laughs) That's why I'm a preacher. But I I love talking about this stuff. Because I, I, I want you to know, I want you to know today that you are indeed saved and you are indeed going to heaven. And if you don't know, if you don't have that confident expectation, if you're not sure, then one of two things is happening. Either you haven't given your heart to Jesus yet, you haven't given your life to Christ, or you're trusting in yourself to save yourself. We're going to talk about the first one today. The second one we're going to talk about in a few weeks when we start a new series called Selfie. That's going to start in September. We're going to talk about selfie. But for today, we're talking about hope. And we're continuing in our series on the book of Hebrews. We've been looking at the book of Hebrews all summer long, talking about how Jesus is greater. We've seen how Jesus is greater than the figures of the Old Testament, such as Abraham or Melchizedek or or Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than all of the uh, rituals and customs and rules of the Old Testament, all the regulations of the Old Testament. God uh, sent his son Jesus to be our sacrifice, to be our mediator, to be our intercessor, to be our advocate, that God sent Jesus, his son, to pay the penalty and take the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to take the punishment for our sins. The Bible says that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. I don't know that there is a more hopeful statement than that, that God does not treat us as our sins deserve because if he did, we would be in trouble. So we're going to continue in Hebrews today. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the uh, chair rack in front of you. There's Bibles down there. Uh, It's on page 850 of the chair Bible. Or if you did bring your Bible, just uh, flip on over to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're talking about hope today and what it means to live a hopeful life. Because we live in a world that needs hope. In the worst way, we need hope. I, I don't know about you. How many of you watch the news at night? Yeah, it's, it's depressing, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it'll, it'll drive you nuts. Watching the news at night will make you just, just throw up your hands and say, I, I don't know what to do. It's hopeless. The situation in Chicago, we're right around the corner from us, every night in the news, seven people shot dead overnight. Three people shot dead this morning. Assaults battery, thievery, it's everywhere you look, and it's downright depressing, and the situation seems hopeless. So how can we live hopeful lives? How can we have hope in our lives? I believe that Hebrews chapter 10 tells us just that, and what we should do to live a hopeful life. So let's look at Hebrews 10 together. We're going to read, this is a kind of a long chapter, so we're going to read a lot of scripture today here in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to break it down into little chunks and talk about what they mean. 
Hebrews 10, verse 1, The law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then he said, Here I am, as it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Now, over the past several weeks, we have seen how Jesus is our sacrifice and how he was the perfect sacrifice to take away our sins. That the sacrifices of animals uh, could not atone for the sins of human beings. Humans and animals are not equal. Now, we love animals, right? Animals are cute, they're furry, they're fuzzy, they're sweet, and the little dog licks your face, and the cat ignores you, but that's a different sermon altogether. But we love our animals, right? But animals do not equal humans. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of people. Impossible. Can't be done. It was an annual sacrifice that had to be made because the sacrifices of animals could not permanently and completely take away the sins of human beings. So there had to be a human sacrifice, a, a, a human for humanity, and that was Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God. He uh, fulfilled God's plan. He fulfilled God's will for him. And when he died on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant that it is finished. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament is done. This is the last sacrifice that will ever need to be made, and it was made by Jesus and he sacrificed himself and gave of himself so that we could be forgiven so that we could be set free so that we don't have to feel the the guilt and the shame uh, of our sins anymore we're going to sing a great song for our invitation song this morning it says my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul that my sin has been nailed to the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, my sin was crucified with him and my sin is gone. As far as the east is from the west, like I said earlier, my sin has been removed from me. I am no longer in God's eyes a terrible, horrible, worthless sinner, but rather I am a forgiven saint. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's not because I'm so wonderful, which I am. It's not because I'm such a great preacher, which I am. It's not because I don't, you know, it's not because of the great things that I can do. It's because of the great thing Jesus did. 
It's what Jesus did for me. It's what Jesus did for you. And when he sacrificed himself once for all, once for all time, he was the last sacrifice that ever needed to be made. And now when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you trust him to be your savior, when you put your faith in him as the son of God, the the Messiah, the savior of the world, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he cleanses you from your sins. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. He washes your sins away. And he gives you the promise and the gift of eternal life. That's awesome. That is awesome. And it's all made possible because Jesus is the sacrifice who takes away our sins. Let's continue. So now we know that this is the kind of the why. This is the why of, of what Jesus has done for us and why we should live a hopeful life. And now we're going to talk about the how. How we live a hopeful life. So starting in verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, notice we have confidence to enter into God's presence, not on our own, but by the blood of who? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching." So how do we live a hopeful life? Well, first of all, we, we need to uh, follow. There, there's like three commands here that are given uh, in, the, in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And these three commands, it's actually, there's five statements that say, let us. So it's let us do this, let us do this, let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. So these five let us statements. But in the Greek, there's actually three statements. There's three commands. So let's talk about those for just a minute. The first command... Uh, here is found in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So the first thing is we draw near to God. Now, how do we do that? How do we draw near to God? We need to have a relationship with him. And the way that we have a relationship with, the, with God, the way that we enter into this relationship is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus, by trusting him for salvation. Because when God saves us through his son, Jesus, he forgives our sins and he makes us holy. He makes us perfect in his sight. He is making us holy through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. And he makes us into that which he desires us to be. So how do we do this? How do we uh, draw near to God? And, and it, he tells us right there, we uh, have our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, we are baptized. When we believe in Jesus, we get baptized. And here at Griffith First Christian Church, we baptize by immersion. Now, the reason that we do that, the reason that we baptize by immersion here is because that's the Greek word for, for baptize, baptizo, literally means to dip, to plunge, or to submerge. It is a word that was used to describe the washing of dishes. How many of you have an automatic dishwasher at home? We have one. Love it. Love it. You know why? Because I hate wrinkly hands. I hate wrinkly hands. I know. It's stupid. Sure. Why not? I hate wrinkly hands. I hate washing dishes. It's time consuming. If I could just take five minutes and and fill that dishwasher up, close it up, set it, forget it. Two hours later, come back. Dishes are clean. It's magic. But... um, So if you don't have an automatic dishwasher at home, then you have to wash your dishes by 
hand. Oh, I'm so sorry. You get wrinkly hands. I don't. Um, except when I have to wash my pans. Because you know you're not supposed to put nonstick pans in the dishwasher, right? You're not supposed to do that. It's bad for the pans. So I do get wrinkly hands every once in a while. But when I wash my pan, when I wash my skillet, I fill the sink with water and put a little Dawn in there. Not that that's the official dish soap of GFCC or anything. It's not a... Anyway, so I put a little bit of Dawn in the, in the dishwasher, in the washing, in the sink, and I take the pan, I put it under the water, I scrub it up, I rinse it off, I set it off to dry. So that, in essence, is what happens when we get baptized. That God, we go under the water, like it says in Romans chapter 6, that when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ. We are baptized into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We go down into the water, and then we come back up. In every instance of baptism in the entire New Testament, everyone is baptized by immersion. That's the way they did it. That's what the word means. It means to wash the dishes. It means you don't... I'm sorry, but you don't sprinkle a little bit of water on the dish to get it clean. You've got to dip it under the water. You've got to submerge it. You've got to scrub it up, and then... Rinse it off and, and, and it's clean. And that's what God does to us. When we are baptized, we go under the water and God cleanses us. And he cleanses our hearts by sprinkling them with Jesus' blood. And this calls to mind what happened in the Old Testament. When, they would, when the priest would go through the tabernacle and he would cleanse everything in the tabernacle, all the furniture, he would cleanse it with blood mixed with water. And he would sprinkle the water uh, mixed with blood all over the furniture in the tabernacle. And this calls to mind what he does to our hearts. Our bodies are washed with pure water, he says, and our hearts are sprinkled with blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And our sins are forgiven, washed away in uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's awesome. Never never having to face them again. Never having to uh, be reminded of them again. So the first thing we do is we draw near to God. The second command that we do is we, um, we draw near to God, and then in verse 23, we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. We hold on to our hope that Jesus is faithful to us, that we do not have to live lives of fear that he's going to change the rules on us halfway through the game, but rather we can hold on to hope. We can grasp onto it. We don't have to let go of hope, and we need to hold on to our hope, this hope that we, which we profess, this confident expectation that one day Jesus is coming back. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, it says that Jesus is coming back. He is going to come back to take us home to be with him, and we will be with him forever and ever and ever. We should encourage each other with these words, which brings me to the last command here. And uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to encourage each other. The closer we get to Jesus' return, we need to encourage each other because we are in this together. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Some of you may be thinking, well, I can be a Christian without going to church. The Bible says you can't. Sorry. The Bible says you can't. No, I don't need to go to church. Yes, you do. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We should not give up meeting together. We should be encouraging each other. We should be strengthening each other. That's why we come to church. It's more than just coming to sing a few songs. It's more than, come, more than just coming to throw a $100 bill in the offering plate. You should try that sometime. It's really good. Um, <laughs> It's, it's more than just uh, something to do for an hour on Sunday. 
but rather we come to worship God and we come to encourage each other. And so the very fact that you are here this morning may be an encouragement to somebody. Or maybe you came today because you need to be encouraged. You need someone to encourage you. But if you're not here, then either you can't encourage someone or you can't be encouraged by somebody. So you need to be here. I'm just saying, you got to be here. And, and, and beside the fact that this is awesome, I love Sunday mornings. I love coming here on a Sunday morning, not because I get paid to, not because I, I have to. Well, somebody's got to preach the sermon, right? No. God spoke through a donkey. He can speak through me. I'm just saying that you need to be here. And we want you here. We want to worship together. We want to encourage each other and encourage one another as we see the day approaching. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. If you're not here, you can't encourage somebody. If you're not here, you can't be encouraged by somebody. So you need to be here. Okay, we'll talk about that. And I have some challenges for you in just a second. Let's keep going. We've got a lot more to do. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, wait a minute. This doesn't sound like hope. It gets better. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who is treated as unholy, who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You may hear that and think, now wait a minute, now I'm in trouble. I, uh, I thought this was about hope. I have deliberate sin in my life. I have things that I've done wrong. I know the difference between right and wrong, and yet I still choose to do the wrong things. I know the difference between right and wrong, and I still don't do the right things. Does this mean I'm lost? Does this mean I have no hope? Absolutely not. That's not what it means. It means those say, I don't want to have a relationship with God anymore. You come to faith in Christ, maybe as a kid or maybe as a teenager or maybe even as an adult. You come to faith in Christ, you get baptized, you start going to church, you know, God is changing your life. And all of a sudden one day you just decide, you know what, I don't buy it anymore. I don't believe it anymore. I don't want it anymore. And you walk away from your faith. Kind of like the prodigal son in the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told. Uh, And you think to yourself, you know, I just don't need this anymore. I don't want it anymore. And you walk away. And you go on to live an unrepentant lifestyle. You just say, I'm going to live for myself. I don't want to live for God. I just want to live for me all the time. I want to do all the things that I just want to do. I don't care what God thinks anymore. And it's an unrepentant lifestyle that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. To deliberately deny that Jesus is God's son. To deliberately deny him by your lifestyle. that says, I don't want this anymore. For you, there's no sacrifice of sins left. If you are living in that kind of a lifestyle, that unrepentant, uh, denying Jesus lifestyle, there's no sacrifice of sins for you. Does that mean you can never turn back? That's not what that means. If you decide to repent, you say, you know what, I do need to repent, and I I messed up, I I totally messed up, and and you come to your senses. See, that's what the difference between the prodigal son was, is that when he went home, when he left home, He said, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. He was lost. But when he came to his senses, he turned around and went back home. He was welcomed back home. And I believe that if you are at that point in your life where you say, you know what? I I need to come to my senses. I need to come back home. You are welcome to come back home. God will welcome you with open arms. I believe that. You don't have to stay lost. 
to stay lost is your choice. You can come to your senses and you can come home. For those who say, I'm, I, I'm never going to come back home, there's no sacrifice for sins left. And you're lost. So if you're hearing this this morning and you're thinking, can I come back home? The answer is yes. You can come back home. Let's finish out the chapter. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will, have, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. My friends, Jesus is coming back, and he is coming back, and that is our confident expectation. That is our hope. Jesus Christ will return and every eye will see him. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is coming back and he will take us to be with him so that where he is, there we will also be. In his father's house, he said, there are many rooms. There are many, many rooms. It's like a gigantic hotel and he's got a room waiting for you. So I have some challenges for you today. If you are living a less than hopeful life, if you are living a life that is not hopeful, I, I think that you, uh, you need hope in your life. Because this world is dark. And this world is, is scary. We talked a little bit earlier about watching the news. And you know what? There is persecution breaking out against Christians. He talks about it in this last passage here. He talks about how uh, people had their property confiscated, how they faced insults and persecutions. I'm reminded of what is going on in the Middle East with ISIS and how they're taking people's property, how they're putting them to death. And it's more than just insults, but it is serious persecution. We should not be surprised by this. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. The world, the system of the world, will hate us. We are no longer the home team, folks. The world will hate us for our faith. You want proof of it? Go to some article on CNN that talks about faith. Go to CNN.com and talk about, just look for any article that talks about maybe the faith of a candidate uh, for president or, or talks about faith in general and then read the comments. Actually, don't do that. You'll be so discouraged and frightened because there is an underlying current of hatred in this world for Christians. And all we want to do is help people, right? That's all we want to do. I mean, that's why we open up orphanages and universities and hospitals and, and why we serve the poor and, and do nice things for people, go on mission trips and, and things like that. But there is an underlying current of hatred for Christians in this world. So how can we have hope? Well, first of all, the, my first challenge for you is if you don't know Jesus, then you need to know Jesus. You need to get right with God, first off. And that means you need to be baptized. And so uh, the first challenge is, uh, is that you need to get baptized because that's where the blood of Jesus comes in contact with your heart. 
In Romans 6, like I said earlier, when you are baptized, you are baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when you are baptized, you are clothed with Christ so that God no longer sees you, he sees Jesus. And so we baptize by immersion here, and let me tell you why. Because like I said earlier, the Greek word for baptism, uh, for baptize, baptizo, literally means to dip, to immerse, or to plunge. And that's why we baptize by immersion. So if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, or if you are a believer and you've never been baptized, you need to get baptized. Like I said, we had a baptism in the first service today. Susie came forward and got baptized. It was awesome. And maybe today is your day. I tell you what, we keep that water at 85 degrees all the time. We're always ready. And so maybe today you're saying, nah, I don't know if I can do it today. Then this week or next Sunday or the Sunday after that, whenever you are ready to give your heart to Jesus, to give your life to Christ, to surrender to Him and to submit to Him and to be baptized, you can do that. You just let me know. And we'll do that. Because there's no greater gift that you can receive than the gift of forgiveness that comes by giving your life to Jesus. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You are given hope. My second challenge is for those of us who have been baptized. And this is kind of like a threefold challenge. All right? Uh, it's, you need to encourage each other. We need to encourage one another. Uh, we need to get involved. That is my second challenge, is to get involved so that we can encourage each other. And so what do we do? We get together with other believers. We get together with other believers. Um, this means regular worship attendance. It means regular worship attendance. It means getting together and, and being here on a Sunday morning. So uh, my challenge for you is to commit yourself to being here at least three Sundays a month for the next three months. Can you do that? Some of you are like, I, do, I come every week. Good for you. But, you know, maybe you're not in the habit of coming to church every Sunday. I want to encourage you. Make a habit of it and say, you know what? I'm going to be here at least three Sundays a month for the next three months and see if your life doesn't start to change. See if you don't start to be more of an encourager or you start to receive the encouragement from other believers because that's what it's all about is encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So we want to encourage each other through regular worship attendance. We want to get involved by being here on a Sunday morning and then the second thing you got to do is you got to get involved in a study or you got to volunteer in a ministry. We want you to get involved. We got six Bible studies starting up this fall. There's a Bible study for you. There's going to be a parenting study, a men's study, a women's study, our Monday night study, a Wednesday night study, a Sunday night study. There's fuel for the teenagers. We want you to get involved in a Bible study. And we want you to get involved in a ministry. And so maybe you want to get involved in like a fellowship ministry. That's a great place to get involved. Get involved with our fellowship ministry or get involved in our children's ministry. Get involved in our youth ministry. We want you to get involved in a ministry. Because when you're involved in a ministry, you're rubbing shoulders with other Christians and they're helping you grow in your faith and you're encouraging them and helping them grow in their faith. The Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We can sharpen each other. We can help each other follow Jesus the more that we get together. And that's what being here on, like on a Sunday morning is about. That's what volunteering in a ministry is all about. It's not just getting a star in your chart in heaven. You know, it's like, oh, Sean was at church today. Good boy. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to be an encourager, and I'm here to be encouraged. That's not why I serve God. I don't serve God so that he looks down at me and goes, I'm so proud of Sean. That's not why I do it. I do it so I can encourage other people, so I can help people follow Jesus, because that's what we're all about. 
The last thing, the last challenge for you is uh, to uh, attend two of our next four fellowship events. We do a fellowship event about once a month. And we had our luau here in the month of August. But coming up in September, uh, we've got our game night. We're going to have a game night on a, I think it's on a Friday night is game night. Uh, we're going to play bingo. We're going to play a bunch of board games. We're going to eat and, and have a good time. Uh, and then in October, we have our pastor appreciation potluck on a Sunday afternoon. I want to encourage you to come tell me how wonderful I am that day uh, for the pastor appreciation potluck. You know, no gift is too small. Uh, no gift is too large. Um, but uh, kidding. I, I am so blessed to be your pastor. I love what I do, and I love each of you, and I'm so thankful that you let me do this. Um, so uh, we have the Pastor Appreciation Potluck in October. In November, we have our Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, we have a great time at our Thanksgiving dinner. We stuff ourselves with turkey, and we have a wonderful time. And then in December, we have our White Elephant Christmas Party, and that's where we have a White Elephant gift exchange, a catered meal, and we have a great time. And so attend, commit yourself to saying, you know what, two out of the next four events, either uh, game night, pastor appreciation, uh, Thanksgiving dinner, or Christmas, White Elephant Christmas party, say, I'm going to attend at least two of those four events, because I want to get to know my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to get to know my church family, and these are great ways to do that, so that we can encourage each other, because that's what, that's what you do when you live a hopeful life. You encourage each other with the hope that you have. And when we do that, it will not matter what the world does to us. Because no matter what happens externally, nothing can take away our inner hope. And that's what this is all about. No matter what happens to us externally, nothing can take away our inner hope. The inner hope that Jesus has given to us. And when we follow Jesus and we encourage one another, it doesn't matter what happens. Persecution will come. We may lose our homes we may lose family members. We may lose our lives. But we will always have